0: Hi and welcome to Oxano Bites. Before we begin, a small insight into Oxano. We are a venture capital firm focused on investing in growth stage businesses. With a sector agnostic investment approach, we have a deep skin in the game and strive to drive growth in our portfolio companies while increasing our investors' wealth. We aim to enable and empower an entrepreneur's vision into reality.
1: In conversation today with us, we have Dr. Ratna Patni. Dr. Rajna Patni is a consultant who specializes in integrating emotional and mental well-being for the individual and the organizational development. Dr. Rajna holds Master of Science in Social Psychology from London School of Economics and a doctorate in Management Studies from Brunel University, UK. With over two decades of experience in social psychology and as a leadership consultant, she is the founder of The Matrix of Inquiry. It is a consulting firm that works with organizations, individuals, and groups to enhance leadership, self-awareness, and effective decision-making through resilience, grit, and a capacity for a healthy relationship with anxiety. In developing her role at the Matrix of Inquiry, she has worked as a consultant with Aperian Global, IKEA China, Price Global Japan, MCGS India, and a host of educational establishments including NIFT Delhi, Goa Institute of Management Goa, and AOD Delhi. Welcome, Dr. Rajna, to the Oxana Bytes podcast.
0: Thank you, Dr. Archit. Lovely to be here speaking with you.
1: Pleasure. Dr. Rajna, given your experience of providing mentorship and coaching to various entrepreneurs, tell us some of your observations on the traits seen in the founders.
0: Um, So there are, I guess, as many kinds of entrepreneurs as there are kinds of enterprises at the same time there are a certain uh, you know categories of shared uh, behaviors aptitudes uh, and of course they are not um, uh, you know exhaustive in the sense there might be an entrepreneur who doesn't fit this very well but from my experience uh, i have found entrepreneurs to often be very confident and to have the capacity to take risks and also be very resourceful in being able to deliver Uh, their vision to, you know, an operational alignment. Uh, So these would be the, you know, essentials of an entrepreneur. But of course, what makes a good entrepreneur is few other aspects as well. And, uh, you know, for achieving uh, a higher level of finesse and capacity as an entrepreneur, I would say that uh, self-awareness, empathy, and resilience can really um, add to how well uh, an entrepreneur manages to survive and thrive in quite a changing and uncertain uh, economic environment.
1: Okay, understood. So I think uh, enterprises, the correlation with the enterprises and having grit and having the self-confidence are the key takeaways uh, as a trait, which I've been observed in the founders. So help us understand the science behind emotions and their origination.
0: So um, emotions is a very huge uh, topic, uh, which has been studied uh, psychologically, social psychologically, sociologically, organizationally, you know, spiritually, uh, as well as uh, in, you know, in economic terms. So there are so many approaches to looking at emotion. And um, the, the way in which I look at it is quite an integrated manner that um, emotion uh, is the view you, you have of an individual and where they are at with regard to their motivation and their capacity to operate in the world and their response to the events in their life as well as the state of mind that they hold. So in that sense, there's a static element of emotion and there's a movement element of it. So there's energy in emotion because it can propel you to action, but there's also the emotions that are purely there, uh, you know, when you are sitting down peacefully or you are relaxing. So there is energy, whichever way you look at it. So the origin of emotions is, you know almost instinctive impulsive they are there right from the moment of um you know one would say even conception but definitely at birth itself there's the fear of being able to survive you know the the whole thing of the first cry that a baby uh, gives out and the first gush of air into the lungs that is uh, an encounter with the life and death question so uh, Emotions are always a part and parcel of a human being's journey and interactive space in life. Um, depending on our awareness and our intention, uh, we can we can alter how we experience emotion and therefore how they originate in us. But otherwise, uh, you know, we can be uh, feeling emotional anywhere in the body. And it's not just something that happens in the mind or, you know, in a mental space. So you can actually be holding emotions in different body parts. Um, And uh, sometimes working to know your emotions uh, is about cultivating a healthier sense of a relationship with your body. So for example, a lot of anxiety can be held in the gut. And... It can, uh, and of course, stress causes different release of hormones and things like that. So they impact our metabolism and our uh, hormonal health. Uh, so the origin of it is is very fluid. Uh, it happens within us. But if you connect to higher sources of information, if you are a person who works on your resilience through improving your meditational capacity, then sometimes the origin of information, of emotional information can also be outside you. So the way in which we understand human beings as very physical embodied, but also with our capacity to engage with cosmic wisdoms, depending on how you understand a human being, in those many ways, you can understand the origin of emotions.
1: So I think uh, emotions are... In a way, we could say that they are the living element in the entire living organism, right?
0: Yes, they are definitely um, a moving element. And if we allow them to move through us, then we may experience being fully alive. And sometimes through fear or through unsafe experiences, we may block the expression of emotions. And then that takes away our capacity to truly feel and to truly know the extent of our capabilities
1: so you mentioned about altering them as well right so in a way if we understand the origination of the emotions for a for a given particular incident for example then we if we are mindful and if we know the techniques then we could also make sure that uh, emotions who are propelling us to the action then those if there are emotions who will propel us to the actions. Whereas there are emotions who will not propel us to the actions. They would be acting as a barrier. So having said that, if the discovery of the emotions are in our, if we know, then I think we can uh, control them and we can direct them to propel us.
0: Absolutely. So it is about how do you get to know emotions? You know, It cannot be a purely mental activity, but it has to be an embodied one one in which you are not knowing just from your head and disconnected from your body or disconnected from your spirit. So it is awareness of your emotional reality, which also makes you recognize your own limitations as a human being. Because when we are in the heat of the moment, we may feel that there's a particular truth in our emotional encounter, and it is the only valid truth. But when you reach the cool of the moment, you might be able to see another truth or another two truths or another 17 truths in the same encounter. By developing our capacity to not only be in our ego when we experience emotion, or at least taking that moment to be able to disengage fully from the ego, we are able to recognize the ways in which we may have overreacted alongside knowing where other people may have not done exactly what is right because emotional responses in the beginning when they are quite immature and volatile are all about uh, considering ourselves to be correct and everyone else to be wrong and that is when they are the most counterproductive but when we develop a healthy capacity to know what are our negative emotions And we develop a way of staying with it and seeing the other sides. Then we also develop the restraint in expressing, you know, a bulldoze of negative emotions in an impromptu exploit, explosive way. Uh, So it is is like an ongoing journey. And the more we allow ourselves to value um, forgiveness, value the importance of perspective and cultivate a gentler compassionate attitude towards ourselves then we can also do that with the rest of the world
1: so taking the time back stepping aside and then looking from a bird eye view would help us to get the hold on the emotions and maybe for the better outcome
0: definitely so you know uh, the taking the bird's eye view is very difficult because Uh, It is such an immersive experience, you know? So when you're in it, you cannot see it. And therefore having um, critical friends or mentors or spaces in which you can open up an emotionally difficult uh, interaction and really speak about it so that your immediate reaction is uh, listened to, acknowledged, honored. And then you have a chance of moving beyond that immediate reaction. If our immediate reaction is blocked, then we get defensive and we are unable to process it further. So you really need a, a community in which your feelings can be heard and that you are allowed to grow in, in your capacity to process your own emotions.
1: Understood. very rightly said. So how much is then resilience correlated with the emotional quotient?
0: So resilience is definitely an integral part of uh, emotional quotient Um, because when we think, if we just limit our conversation even to how do we become um, capable of holding our own emotional knowledge, let's say. So if we do not have the resilience required to see what are our own faults, then in that moment itself, we will not be able to be emotionally intelligent. So the emotional quotient will require us to be able to be self-reflective. And if we are not able to reflect on our own um, gaps or lapses, areas of our own development, then we are not resilient. So resilience is strength with flexibility. It is, uh, it requires agility. So it is, resilience is not rigidity. So it is always something that takes us beyond our current state of being. And we only recognize we are resilient when we have reached that threshold of, oh my God, I can't carry on anymore. And then we suddenly develop more capacity. So it is a work in progress and it can only develop when we are committed to resilience before being committed to anything else. So that itself is a, uh, you know, is a lifelong commitment. And it means that when there are difficulties, we will commit to growing ourselves in those difficulties. And with that, that is an integral part of being emotionally intelligent because the self-growth is always on these subtler, softer aspects. And they are the most confronting aspects as well. You know, So uh, resilience as an emotional uh, quotient aspect is something that can uh, completely catapult you into new areas of growing and being. And, you know, your creative impulses can be fully opened up uh, when you are emotionally resilient because you are no longer fearful of going to your dark side.
1: Very nicely, kept. So, you know, uh, I will pick your brain on this now particularly. Uh, since we have mentioned and I mean, you have really explained the emotional quotient and the correlation with the resilience. So there is a lot of data and information on improving the emotional quotient but very few know the actual practically applicable methods. So please help us understand what should be an ideal daily routine of an individuals to improve upon their emotional quotient.
0: So, you know, these things, um, a lot of uh, the improvement happens in relationships, right? And for those of us who are able to afford the investment in working with another person, whether it is a coach, a consultant, a therapist, a guru, you know, a, a critical friend, a peer group, uh, you know, like there are so many peer groups where they, where personal development is an element. So finding the time to invest in that is is absolutely amazing for those who can do it. For those of us who are not yet ready for that, for whatever reason, it is very important to develop a relationship to self where you can reflect and be critical of what what you've been up to. As well as take stock and take pride in all the things that you are doing in a way that you feel good about the kind of person you're becoming. So, you know, they can be simple things like uh, every evening before you go to bed, you might want to review your day. And you can start with what's the last thing you did and go backwards, right? So you are not starting with, I woke up in the morning and I did this and I did this, but you're starting with, you know, what did I do last? And what was it before? And what was it before? So what happens with that is you first reach the thing of I was angry or I was rude. And it was because this happened, right? So you are able to create a distance between what happened and what you felt. Mm -hmm. And you're able to see that it may not have been the only thing you could have felt, because when you tell the story from the top to the bottom, then it all flows exactly like the day flowed. But in doing it like this, you'll be able to reflect differently. So that would be one simple practice. It, if you do it with commitment, it's you know it has so many advantages. Um, but otherwise, finding uh, uh, you know a coach who's not scared of asking you confrontational questions while at the same time standing by your side as you do your repair work. I think that's always fabulous. Uh, yet, we don't need anyone else in order to start to become emotionally aware, but we do need a relationship to ourself where we are committed to wanting to not be blind to ourselves, you know? And here I um, learned something nearly 20 years ago, which is like a Johari window, which everyone talks about, right? Uh, what is visible to you? What is private? What is known to you, not known to you? Now I uh, have worked in settings where we use it in a slightly different way, which is that you are working on, um, those areas where you do not know what you do not know. In emotional development or personal development, leadership development, that is what you're working on. You're working on developing those areas where you do not know what you do not know. So that awareness, that's why an element of another person's perspective or this perspective where you're work, working backwards. So you become the other as you recount your own day. That can help.
1: Excellent uh, observation on, you know, seeing the things from a backward perspective, You know seeing the day from the backward perspective. But what if uh, if a person sees from the backward perspective and understands the origination of the emotions, right? And then the person will talk to, let's say a mentor and the mentor will have a different point of view then how do that person would uh, differentiate and come at a common conclusion?
0: So this is, uh, you know, uh, the world of our emotional responses is the first place where we need to have the authority of what it is we feel. Most of our growing up, we have had to give away this authority. So when we reconnect with that authority of, you know, the sovereignty of our feelings, uh, it's very good to have experts. But at the same time, when you develop your own emotional quotient, you have a very good sounding board within yourself to know what belongs to you and what doesn't. Because with everything, when we trust the expert too much, it should not lead to a place where we trust ourselves too little. Because in this world of, you know, emotion work, therapy, all kinds of uh, expertise which is there, it should never make you feel that you are not good enough to take charge of your own life. And there are many uh, experiences where this happens and that must be avoided at all costs. Because that's when we lose our own authority and our own agency. And that is the crux of becoming independent decision makers. At least we need to begin with being independent about how we are feeling. We can take what everyone else is saying, but our internal radar should be strong enough. So we cannot be, you know, wrapped around in another person's expert opinion only. We also have our own. Expertise?
1: So, in, in this sense, you know, talking for an entrepreneur's, or let's say even for an investor's perspective, for that matter, we know a decision might uh, propel us to success, but it is also a risky proposition. It might also, you know, take us down, uh, for that matter. So, in that sense, uh, a very objective decision would be to take a defensive approach right to take a defensive call and to do uh, and to take the decision which will make sure that uh, even if uh, everything goes south you are still not losing uh, much so i mean don't you think then this defensive approach would come into play uh, for that matter
0: so even if we think of uh, an individual's growth or we think of an enterprise growing there are phases and stages. There is a time when, you know, you need to be conservative in your risk-taking. And then there comes a plateauing of that and then you're able to reach a space where there are certain segments where you can go gung-ho on risk. Because your, you know, your basics have a, um, already have a rhythm in place. So uh, even with... um, Uh, you know, investors and entrepreneurs, uh, it is when you reach that threshold of the regularity being taken care of, that is when you really can fall into that creative space where you can take others with you. Till that point of reaching that, um, uh, you know, safe haven you are just trying to get there yourself, and in that case, you end up being more conservative sometimes, or you, you know you end up having to uh, not follow your vision entirely, things like that. But you are doing it to get to that first notch from where things can be different. Those entrepreneurs who are differently connecting to their anxiety, you know, uh, they will make decisions which which will be riskier in another person's perspective, but they may feel some uh, clarity intuitively, you know? So this is like um, where, for example, uh, people may want to take a certain risk because they are convinced within them that the returns are going to justify the lack of clarity right now. And that kind of um, uh, conviction comes from a real internal clarity. So those entrepreneurs who are very committed because they have a clear vision and nothing can come in the vision, there is no negative influence that can tarnish that vision. So those visionaries can take risks which seem crazy to others. But each one has to do it as per their own appetite. You know, uh, as uh, we spoke, uh, there are so many influences, including where we are on our planetary development, which uh, orbit we are in. So, there will be so many kinds of entrepreneurs and so many ways of being successful. But in becoming a successful entrepreneur, how lovely it would be to also become a beautiful human being. And that is where I feel. Emotional quotient, uh, resilience, uh, empathy, compassion, you know, these these values uh, grow not just the enterprise, but also the human beings associated with the enterprise.
1: Thank you. I think this will definitely help a lot of entrepreneurs who are, uh, you know, in this dilemma of uh, which direction to take and not to take. Uh, thank you. So, uh, There are entrepreneurs who are skillful, but do not succeed. While few of them succeed even with lesser skills. From a psychology perspective, can you help us decode one key differentiator according to you plays an important role?
0: So, um, what happens uh, in my experience is that um, when we are developing skills, we are being assessed by a framework of knowledge where we know what we are supposed to do in order to be skillful, okay? So there are people who do very well in that. They know that if you have to show patience, you have to show humility, you have to show um, research skills, then they are able to show all that. So they are performing based on what is required and they become masters of that, which is whatever is required of me, I will know it and I'll be able to perform it. Now that leads to success in those fields where we have a clear indication of what it is we need to perform. But in entrepreneurship, what you need to perform is changing so rapidly. And so little is known that those people who are driven by a clarity of what I need to be rather than who am I, they may tend to not be as successful as those who have not been able to meet the external checklists, but they know who they are. And so some people may not be doing very well in school Because actually they had trouble performing what was required, but they always knew who they are. So that is where is the magic of entrepreneurship. Those who were backbenchers can sometimes just flourish when they have, you know, finally the chance to show what they are made of. Mm. And that's where our schooling and our education system doesn't necessarily do justice to everybody. But I
1: mean, this would mean that uh, intuition or let's say naturally born or gifted people, you know, would thrive in entrepreneurship because they they know something which, let's say, technically abled uh, entrepreneur wouldn't know, right?
0: So this is not just natural, even though it is not taught in school. So what happens is you will find that. Uh, there are modes of living your life, okay? And here, there's this um, very amazing idea of habitus, okay? And I feel that the more I work with people, I recognize the importance of habitus. So those of us, for example, who have grown up in homes where people are enterprising, Mm -hmm. okay? Um, We have a relationship to what it means to be an entrepreneur, right from when you're eating your first breakfast on your own. So you see certain things which are being done, certain ways in which an entrepreneur manages his or her time, even when there's no boss. Certain ways in which an entrepreneur decides to take or not take holidays and yet feels free. Okay, So there's a whole way of having an entrepreneurial mindset which is learned from the social context. And very often the ones who have developed uh, mostly in a professional context, they may need to learn new skills when they want to jump into the entrepreneurial context. So this, the skills which form part of the air we breathe, that is what the habitus is. So it is the gifts you gain from the context of your existence. And they're not naturally available to you, but they are cultivated in your social environment. So if we have mentors who are only, uh, you know, uh, delivering professional goals uh, in a in a particularly kind of well-defined role, uh, with clear, um, targets and deliverables uh, over a clear uh, period of time with clear incentives you know then you develop a different relationship with outcomes whereas when you have observed and experienced mentors who take a shot in the dark and they uh, come back with gold you know then you recognize that what you begin with and where you end up has sometimes nothing to do with each other And faith can sometimes be your most powerful uh, propelling force. So all of these, uh, you know, things, when when we change streams, so, you know, it's as difficult for an entrepreneur to become a hardcore professional as it is for a professional to become a hardcore entrepreneur. And there are skills and attitudes that have to be learned in order to really enjoy the whole experience.
1: So... In, in, in this sense, I mean, I'll try to correlate uh, one thing which has been told by a lot of uh, people who are into, uh, you know, psychology and who are into sociology that uh, if you want to understand what you want to do, if you are an Indian, let's say if you want to understand, just try to do a Bharat Darshan once. Try to see how the entire uh, people of the country, how they live, how they behave. So in in this sense, if I have to correlate, then entrepreneurs should know what their consumers, let's say, potential consumers would be eating, sleeping, breathing, right? And for investors, in whatever industry they are going to invest, they should know what exactly is the core reality. I think that would differentiate from, uh, 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 let's say, you know, a person having hard skills to the person not having hard skills, but still they are getting successful.
0: Yes, so, you know, as an investor and as an entrepreneur, you have to be able to look beyond the... uh, proposal or uh, the market figures that are put in a nice excel spreadsheet for you because you really need the idea of the ground reality and that is uh, the ground reality of the potential of the entrepreneur in which the investor wants to invest because that becomes really critical and so you know uh, knowing an entrepreneurial mindset even those uh, who are like from a professional background but they they are very enterprising and they may, may have been entrepreneurs even in their organizations before they quit and decided they want to do something for themselves so what are these you know this agency this resourcefulness this visual uh, you know visionary uh, capacity the capacity to fall down and stand up again to not take um, failures to heart Uh, to wake up every new day with, like, new energy, new enthusiasm. Uh, These are the things that, uh, you know, make for a successful enterprise. Um, So, if you know, um, so skill is not enough. Skill in a traditional set uh, of success. But we have to expand what we think of as successful
1: absolutely understood so uh, we talked about resilient individuals let's talk about resilient teams how teams can become resilient and please enumerate an example which can help the listeners understand its intricacies
0: so you know when um, when organizations are growing uh, in the beginning there are just a few members assuming it's like you know an enterprise that's growing up from the ground and you know working up to get uh, further funding and things like that. So there comes a time when uh, you know there are few members they understand uh, the leader very well and they share in the goals and they work to deliver and then you come to a place where the team members grow. The number grows uh, you know their skill set grows you have to keep them motivated also at the same time you want to get the best out of them. So In most enterprises, which are, you know, not seeking to become professional corporatized spaces, it is very easy for the leader to continue to uh, take full control and earn a significant amount, but they're not interested in uh, scaling up. They're not interested in going global. So, you know, you can have enterprises like that, in which case uh, the resilient team is not so important because it is the resilient leader and that enterprise is like a um, proprietorship, which doesn't need to uh, have like, you know, an organizational hierarchy or a succession plan or things like that. But those organizations, which want to um, have a generational pattern of existence. So you wanna create an an enterprise that's gonna survive and outlast you. That's when a lot of these questions become relevant. And and the most important question is, to what extent is the leader willing to trust the leadership of the people he or she has selected to co-work with in the organization? So for those uh, teams, it's really important first that there is trust. there's trust not just in the capacity of the team member, but the trust is the kind that, um, you know, very much like when you have a child growing up in your home, they have to trust that even if they make a mistake, even if they mess things up, it can be cleaned up together. And that is the level of trust uh, the team needs in order to truly be resilient because that is when they will bring their best forward as well. So that possibility that we will do our best and yet we might make mistakes, that allows people that freedom to you know, become a team where the leader is a leader of leaders. And uh, in, in leaders, I, I always say that every leader is also a follower. Uh, But a leader of leaders has much more uh, freedom because they are not micromanaging. They are trusting uh, the the capacity of people, but they're also there to pick up the pieces if something doesn't go right. So that fear is not there as a motivating force. Instead, there's the possibility of creating. And I have worked with leaders who have managed to do this where they have actually started off uh, saying that that is what they want to create. And they have worked towards it. And it's not easy because, uh, you know, you ask any mother uh, whether it's easy to allow the father to do the first nappy change. Because you are like, say you're the expert at bum cleaning. You don't want to hand it over to someone else. But actually that single nappy is not going to ruin anything. So that level i'm using this example which is so um disconnected because it is like that allowing yourself to not micromanage takes courage because you know the standards won't be the same as you but yet will you be able to live with it and will the company grow I think those are the, you know, the questions that allow a team to develop resilience. So
1: transparency in the communication, right? And uh, giving room for the creativity to come up. I think this would mean uh, the team is going towards or building the resilience. But, uh, I mean, you also uh, touched upon the micromanagement part. So recently, one of the higher officials of the country, I mean, openly spoke that, Uh, okay, I am a micromanager because I need to, right? So help us understand this. Sometimes this micromanagement thing happens also out of making sure that if anything goes wrong, then, you know, I want to be held responsible. I should make sure that nothing goes wrong if it is under my side. Is is that correct when, because most of the times micromanagement is looked at from a very negative connotation, but is that so?
0: So that's what I was saying that, you know, when it's a sole proprietorship, where you have employees working for you micromanagement could be the only way sometimes and it's fine so nothing by itself is right or wrong but it has to be context uh, approved you know uh, even if the sole proprietorship suddenly finds that it has to grow it will have to give up micromanagement because it works in a certain scale in a certain format but it stops working after a while because um, if the leader is supposed to focus on the next step, they cannot do that while they are ensuring that everyone is taking this step exactly in the way because there's a limited number of hours and energy in the day. So how do we share a vision that allows everyone to take their step in tandem with you without you needing to police it? So that kind of resilient culture comes from trust but it also comes from selecting people who are also entrepreneurial you know who also want to take the right risks so it is a it's a it's an evolving space uh, and very often you will find uh, entrepreneurs who find those you know core the core number of people from whom they can then get courage to to expand more and more. Uh, But the first few hires are really critical.
1: Understood. So, uh, last question of the session. Please tell us one unfiltered piece of advice you have received in your career which has changed your perspective or has given you the direction which you never thought of. Um.
0: So this is a piece of advice I uh, really value. And uh, what happened was uh, I was working on my PhD and uh, I had colleagues who were 25 years older to me. You know, I was pretty much the youngest lecturer. I had to often wear a, an ID to ensure that people knew I'm not a student. <laughs> and in this uh, phase, like I had been given a full lectureship And I had to do my PhD on the side. And uh, my senior colleague told me, what is your PhD about? And I said, uh, oh, you know, it's about emotion in organizations. And I started off on on the detail of it. So she was like, let me just stop you there and tell me again. What is your PhD about? So I just uh, looked at her, unsure. And she said, it's about getting it done. And I realized that that is so wise because you can keep doing a PhD for your whole life and it can never get done. But you have to arrive at a place where it is good enough to go out. And that is so true for all entrepreneurs as well. You have to realize when is it good enough. Because if we keep going for some vague notion of perfection, we may never get it out there. And some things evolve once they've taken birth, just like us. So we can't keep it always in the womb, but we must risk being born and then take it from there.
1: So are you on the target and understanding the entire journey and being mindful of that? That is, if, if I have to conclude, uh, right?
0: Yes, uh, being aware that we are all work in progress and being okay with it.
1: Absolutely. Great to you, man. Uh, this brings to end of our today's podcast. The conversation enriched us with the understanding of how resilience plays an important role in an entrepreneur's journey. Uh, we thank you, Dr. Rachna Patni, for taking time out to share insights on the resilience, emotional quotient, and its dynamics around the entrepreneurship and team building. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you, Achit. And just a comment on how resilient you are for having moved from dentistry to this. And, uh, you know, taking such various elements into uh, in, into consideration as you do your daily work. So that flexibility and expansive quality is is uh, truly remarkable. And I'm very pleased to have had this conversation with you.
1: Thank you so much. Thank you. It means a lot. Thank you.
0: Thanks for tuning in. For more Oxano Bytes episodes, you can head to www.oxano.in slash blogs. You can also follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube for more updates and insights.